Welcome to Church and Other Drugs. We're just going to roll with it. Just going to roll with it. What's up, y'all? My name's Jed. I'm Debesh. And together we are Jed and Debesh. That is, that is uh, they're happy and they're singing and they're colored. <laughs> do, 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 do. Give me well, a I high am. five. You remember the Wayans Brothers show? Yeah, dude, yeah. that is. They were good, man. What happened to them? They were good, man. That, yeah, that whole the whole that whole network just collapsed, I believe. Yeah, well, the whole like sitcom thing in general just collapsed. Yeah, that's true. I guess that's what happened. Yeah, weak sauce. Uh. <laughs> So what were you talking about, bringing, bringing people back to life? So, yeah, man, like, I was thinking about it the other day, and I had two specific experiences, and I don't know if anybody out there in the congregation has had these, I'm sure plenty of folks have, where you end up bringing your homies back to life, you know, and, um, and so, like, I know, for me, there was one specific time where um, my buddy, like, we were getting loaded, and he started blue lipping, and like I knew what, that. What is blue lipping for uh, so, the people? So for the people that don't know, like when you're about to overdose, your lips turn blue, um, and uh, and then you kind of just lose all the color in your face, and you just go out. And so I saw it start to happen. You know, breathing slows down significantly, um, and so. I was like, dude, where the fuck? Where's your Suboxone at? You know, where is it? Because the naloxone and Suboxone will will bring you back, and uh, and like a, right before in a sucky uh, way too. In a in a really sucky way, <laughs> yeah. But like right before he he went out, he told me he was like, it's in my bottom drawer, and then he like, <laughs> and, then, like <laughs> and I go run and I get it and I just like shove it in his mouth. Like, he ended up coming back with me, thank oh, God. you didn't shoot so, him up with it? You just, like, put it in his mouth? No, I just, like, put it in his mouth, yeah. And it worked? It worked, man, it worked, yeah. Huh. Yeah, I did really, yeah. So that worked, it took, like, eh, about 10 minutes or so. Um, but, yeah, it worked. The... He's alive today, and he sells cars. <laughs> Kaylee had to bring me back, uh, like... Uh, it was her and my friend Aaron, like, what was I doing? Uh, oh, I, I didn't tell them that I had already, like, eaten, like, six or eight time-released morphines, right? And I had forgotten about it, because, like, orally, yeah. it, it doesn't do much. Like, well, yeah. I mean, it does, but not to a junkie, like. Right, 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 right. It's the, so, it's the slow release type. Yeah, 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 yeah. So so I was, like, loaded on, on morphine, and then we got some dope. Okay. And, I, and I did my shot, and they were fine. And then they just apparently, I, I just, I made this giant bowl of cereal, and yeah. uh, apparently they looked over, and I was they, like, they hadn't heard me talk in a while, and they look over, and I'm just face in the cereal. <laughs> <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> and uh, I don't, I don't remember. It. The only thing I remember was waking up and going like, "What, dude? I'm just sleeping." And. <laughs> <laughs> They, my friend Aaron was like, I guess like a nurse, so he started doing that thing where you you rake someone's solar plexus, uh huh, and uh-huh. It, that like wakes them up. He oh, wow. bruised no the fuck out of me, like it hurt, but yeah. apparently saved me. Well, damn. I mean, I guess that's a thing because there was this other time I saved somebody and we we're getting loaded, and I remember this was a guy who was just prone prone to just just going out, you know, just prone to dying, like yeah. and coming back. And so, like, we got loaded. I went outside. It was at my ex-girlfriend's house. This was years ago, maybe eight, nine years ago, probably longer. And um, 
and I was like, look, dude, like, don't do any more. I'm going out front to smoke a cigarette. And like, I'm smoking a cigarette, we're talking, and he's inside the house. And uh, I was like, man, I haven't heard, I haven't heard from your boy in a while. Like, what's going on? Like, I go back in the house. Sure enough, he like did a shot and was out. Uh. And so I, I call my boy because he did this like last week. <laughs> and I was like, dude, what did you do when old boy like died? And he's like, just beat the shit out of him. <laughs> dude, I was like 21, you know. And um, I just started wailing on him. Uh, I think the, a pulse came. I dragged him in the back of my truck in my suburban. I could only fit like one of his legs in. I don't know. It was it was really awkward. He was a big dude, and I uh, and I went to Ostner Hospital, and um, I brought him there, and I told them I was like, I was like, yeah, you know, I was at the Fly, which is like a little park in New Orleans, and I just like I was, I was playing football with my friends, and I saw this guy, and like his friends slept in there, I guess. And uh, just to, to not take any blame that you know the whole thing when oh, you're yeah, getting that, left. That, that that's the oh it wasn't even unspoken like we told each mm-hmm. other we're like look if you if you go out like we'll call the ambulance we'll make sure that you're there but like we're gone mm-hmm. like and ev- gone. everyone yeah and I expected the same with me like you know yeah that's just yeah. Um, the code the code you know? yeah. the un- that's so fucked up isn't it. So it's so fucked up. And then he was so mistreated. I didn't even know this until a few months ago because my brother and his sister are good friends. That the because like I was like I called his sister. I looked up her number in his phone and I let her know. And then like I put it back in his phone, back in his pocket. And the way that they treated him, it inspired her so much to like change things in the medical community. That I think she's now like a doctor or a PA. They treat you like shit. Like oh, yeah, yeah. like bad. They treat they really. I mean I I like. On one hand, I get it. Like, there's people that are, like, you know, that have accidents. Yeah. And then you got this punk-ass kid who just took too many drugs, right? Like, you know, okay. I get that. However, like, it's a disease. Like, I can't, you know, I ain't trying to do this. Right. Right. (laughs) Like, if I could. I mean, mistreatment doesn't help. You know what I mean? No, man. Not at all not helpful but yeah what got me thinking about it too is they have this documentary on netflix called heroin and it's about this woman paramedic who's just like oh yeah is that any good it was pretty good it was really short um but it was good man i mean you know i got a little emotional at the end but uh kaylee was watching that yeah it was pretty cool i liked it yeah she said it was good Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um yeah let's go ahead and get to the interview I got something to say at the end, at the the next one then. Okay. I scrape the glass for crumbs and ask the mirror for some truth. I loaded my body with chemicals. It was no use. Cause retribution's coming for the years of this abuse And I can't get away and still I can't So I think you're also one of the people that shares Just from listening to you shares my extreme love of all things cursive and bright eyes Oh sweet, yeah, Saddle Creek baby (laughs) Have Have you ever got to meet either of them? uh briefly in like a fan setting so like oh, okay i think i might have shook 
Tim Casher's hand. That's who I, I'd want to. That's like my one of my dream interviews. I'd love to talk to that guy. Really? Yeah. Well, I I have a friend who's really close with him. So no way. Not that I would ever do you a favor. I but. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted you to know that uh, I hold that power in my hand. <laughs> no, I don't actually at all. Uh, I don't. I don't claim to know anybody really. No, that's what like all those bands in high school are what fueled my initial like weird uh obsession with like the uh the drunken poet thing drunken artist yeah yeah well they all have to sober up if they want to keep going that's the way way these things go i feel like uh i feel like conor burst kind of lost it to be honest what do you mean i have not liked any of his new stuff like well, you you prefer him to be a a, a drunken drug addict? Unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. For, for music's sake, uh, uh, if I'm honest, that reminds me of a. Uh, speaking of poetry, that reminds me of. A... Oop. Yeah. Okay. It, it's Sorry about that. <laughs> I was like, yes, poetry. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. So, uh, yeah, Soren Kierkegaard uh, quote, he goes, what is a poet, an unhappy person who conceals profound anguish in his heart, but whose lips are so formed that as sighs and cries pass over them, they sound like beautiful music. Ooh. And then, um, gosh, what's the next part? The, these stupid poetry sites just cut the best part of the quote off. <laughs> Oh my gosh, now I've blown it. What's it from? Like, is that from one of his books or just like a collected poetry thing? This pisses me off. Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I've only read his quotes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's... I don't read much Kierkegaard. Dude, I read yeah. more Kierkegaard Ashian. Okay, here, here it is. Oh yeah, go for it. Here it is. What is a poet? A poet is an a poet is an unhappy being whose heart is torn by secret sufferings, but whose lips are so strangely formed that when the sighs and the cries escape them, they sound like beautiful music. And men crowd about the poet and say to him, "Sing for us again soon." That is as much to say, "May new sufferings torment your soul." Ooh. Which I was brought into me, uh, brought into mind because it, you, you're kind of saying to exactly that. To Connor Oberst, may new sufferings torment your soul so that you can come bring me some beautiful music. <laughs> Connor, if you're listening, you know. Yeah. I, so, well, okay. So you had your own. So I just discovered y'all like, I don't know, I guess it was three years ago now. Um, like when, uh, when I got sober this time around, I kind of like retooled my whole life. And that's when I found... Uh, I've always been an Emory fan, and that's when I found like the BC guys and got into podcasts and all that, all that good cool. stuff. Cool. Um, and then I heard the reason I, I sent you that email. Um, I heard that song, uh, and I honestly just forgot the title, the drug song. Oh, God and Drugs. God and Drugs. Yeah. Yeah. I was confusing that with the Amberlynn song. Yeah. Um, and I was listening to the lyrics, and I was just like. Oh, this dude is one of us for sure. And so I went straight <laughs> to the Google and I was like, oh, no, I guess not. But like, so what, like, I don't know. I know this, <laughs> this is like old ass news, but that's just super interesting to me that you captured pretty, m- I've always said that, I don't even, you, I'm sure you don't know 
did you look at our podcast at all or do you, i i, I looked at the website yeah yeah um so i'm a recovering heroin whatever drug addict um and i've always said and through like all the addicts i've met across the country like a common theme is that i always feel like we're more spiritually in tuned people and it's like with that kind of sensitivity, either you look to just turn it off or you go the other direction and like embrace it and see what it's meant for or whatever. Right. So everything in that song was based like just talking about like trying to push God away or looking for a spiritual relief in a chemical. I was like, that is spot on. It's like, yeah. where, where did that come from? Um, well, I can't say, I mean, I, not that I, I can't say that I'm one of anybody, really. I don't really fit into any mold, but um, I will say that I've dabbled with certain things and had certain periods of my life where I did more of one thing than I would uh, probably do if I were to go back. But, um, and I have the addict gene in my... um, in my family or whatever. And I figure at this point I'm 35 and if I haven't yeah, um, fallen down into a ditch at this point, I'm probably safe from, from that. Is it like your immediate, like siblings or parents or? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, it's, um, my granddad died actually in our house when he was 68 from cirrhosis of the liver from, um, alcoholism. And then, my uh, my uncle was an alcoholic, and uh, cancer eventually got him. Uh, he was he was sober for years, but he smoked like a chimney. My dad's mom was a smoker. Um, my uncle was a heroin addict and died that way. Um, wow! So I, it's all in there. Uh, it, I didn't mean to dive. No, no, no. It's this, the fun, it's fine. And the funny it's thing fine. about podcasts is like. It's one-sided because I'm like, well, I know exactly what Matt McDonald's about, and you just now met me. But yeah, so that's cool though. <laughs> well, yeah, no, it's so so. Uh, yeah, but also, I do, I do at least. Um, I think I relate, and I think I've been obsessed with the with the idea because in the circles, different circles over my life where drugs have been prevalent, there seems to be a culture of people who kind of flock to it like moths to flame where there is a semblance of, or a sense of camaraderie or brotherhood or or like-mindedness about the world and about the complexities of life and about suffering. And a lot of times that, that can bond people together. And, and then, you know, the drug is just the, the glue, I guess that keeps you there. But, um, but yeah, I, uh, I, I've always been into the idea of or the the play between um, kind of the spiritual need of the soul and and um, chemicals in the brain that that can be manipulated to make you feel a certain way. And Re- I think replacement God. Sure, exactly. But also, um, yeah, I I mean, people have used psychedelics etc to open their brains to different new possibilities you know scientists and the like and you know it's just a different way of seeing the world but i think where addiction comes in um 
is is uh, is 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 in the place of of true transcendence, in the place of true uh, truth. It it can if you fall into the trap, it it guides you the wrong direction. But I would say that for me, I've always felt that like addicts or people who are that seeking or that desperate for even even a shadow of the truth would be far closer to finding it than than those who who just turn a blind eye and don't don't seek at all. So I've always felt like a, a kinship with seekers in that regard and people who um, who go to the dark places in search of the light even, you know, and and so I don't fault anybody who's who's fallen into the trap. And I mean, I could I mean, jury's still out on me, but I, 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 I it's definitely I, a, like a threshold that has to get like a line has to be crossed because not, you know, you can control it until you can't. Right. Yeah. And there's been times where like, you know, and this is just me being person. Like I'm, I'm, a, I'm an upfront guy. I like to talk about everything and I don't, I don't really hide much, but there've been times where like, I swear I'm drinking every day for three months four months straight, but not like, not like abusively, but like, it's just the nature of the life that like the life oh, on the yeah. road. And it's not, we're just like, it's not, it's like, it's not necessarily like wake and chug or anything like to try to keep the hangover or the shakes at bay, but it's like, it's daily, you know? And where I start getting the thoughts like, okay, what if I don't drink tonight? And then if that thought scares me, then I'm like, I'm not drinking. tonight. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's good. <laughs> So I have a even, thing. It's not even necessarily like how much or whatever. It's it's really about right. like intention. And right. Like are are you drinking to cover up or is are you satisfying like an obsession or something? Right. And right. Like, but believe me, if I you know I am no bemoaner of chemicals. If I didn't have the problem with it, I would. If I could drink like a gentleman, I would. Believe me. Yeah. I, actually, well, they always, they always say that. I don't know. I've just never liked like one beer. That's just never, sure. <laughs> never been my thing. Yeah. Well, it's funny because like Christy and I got off the road and um, probably about a month and a half ago. And in the two months that we were touring, there was probably like three or four days where we didn't have a drink because pre pre-show was like two beer. That's what you do. Like there's yeah. some shows we couldn't or for whatever reason. But like like she, you know, she has nerves or whatever. And it was just like, OK, two beers and then you're relaxed and you can remember your parts and not overthinking it, you know. And, and so that was kind of our routine or whatever. And then after, you know, to wind down, you know, a couple of drinks too. So it was, that was like two for two months straight and we got here and I was like, I'm done. Cause yeah. I've been saved by, you know, a lot of things about my personality are, are difficult for a lot of people to deal with and difficult for me. But one of the good things about it is that I just, I cannot stand being under the power of something or something else or someone oh, else. And yeah. so I, I will rage against it if I feel like something is controlling my mood, like I can't do without something, it's done. It, the second I feel like it has that wedge into me, I'm I'm done with it. That's And uh, so every time I've gotten close to the edge, like you said, like the threshold, I've always like looked over and gone, no, I'm going back. Like I'm done. That's so you know? interesting. Yeah, like nicotine is the last thing that I just, it's like I at least quit smoking for the most part and I vape but you know so I'll just get future cancer or whatever the hell that's gonna give me but <laughs> robot cancer robot cancer exactly <laughs> yeah um yeah I always like it's funny uh 
my like fundamental not fundamentalist but southern i'm from south carolina and like grew up southern presbyterian so like that kind of upbringing really played a part like in me doing drugs really quickly because my parents uh found cigarettes and drug tested me when i was like super young and i, I had like just started smoking pot or whatever so i, I uh failed for pot so they started drug testing me regularly and like the internet had just come out then so i was just going on all the message boards and like finding stuff that you that you could get high on that wouldn't show up on a drug test and wow so, yeah just ended up doing like so that was like the button they put a button on the wall said do not push yeah no. and you're just young enough to go well of course i'm pushing that Absolutely. button tell me that's push that <laughs> well and then it fed into the cycle of i had this like the biggest view of god that i took with me was like you're a sinner especially with sexual stuff like i had the guilt complex like crazy and so it was just this cycle of sinning or whatever doing stuff i thought was wrong feeling the guilt needing something to cover up the guilt then needing something to cover up the guilt that of the stuff that i just the guilt guilt guilt, yeah it's real that's like that's like you get drunk and then you get hung over and you need something to cure the hangover so you get drunk again and you get hung over and you need to get something to cure the hangover it's the same cycle yeah but that's the thing is like you you tell people not to do like and i had the same thing like when i when i first drank now i'm lucky to have it's not been it wasn't early in life i was protected at least as far as that goes in a small town and, and with friends that were relatively clean people. But I mean, I think, I think I was 15 or something, 16 when I, when I first drank beer, I remember t- it was disgusting. And this yeah. like my migrant worker bought it for us at the, at the berry farm that we worked at. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and we had to use all of our Spanish. We learned in high school to get it. I feel like it was like a sort oh, of a rite hilarious. of, a rite of passage, you know, yeah, to like try sure. to, try to illegally obtain alcohol when you're underage um, from someone who doesn't speak your language. Even I thought like we earned it, you know, oh, yeah, that's good. but, uh, that's good. But we, we, three of my friends, we took, um, we took a 24 pack of like Bud Light to onto my trampoline after work one day. And we drank the, we drank the whole thing. Um, I think it was like, yes, yeah, we each had seven or eight. Oh, the first, like, Oh, so I'd taken all, Oh yeah, a lot. Yeah. And I, but I remember like throwing up and not really feeling it. Like it's just like it's such a foreign substance, you know. Just like oh my gosh, and then running around and falling over because you couldn't even keep your balance, and yep. you know, uh, and then and then you know waking up kind of hungover or whatever. But you're young and it doesn't really matter. Oh yeah, you bounce and back then, like a rubber band. Yeah, but I remember thinking like, now those are my two friends that I did it with, um, and then when we kind of like grew a little bit there were my friends whose parents were religious i mean they were practicing in their faith um one was a lutheran and the other was i don't know some sort of evangelical but didn't really uh it it wasn't wasn't necessarily super conservative so they, they could drink or whatever but um but my two friends who who are actually good friends of mine their dads like all the way growing up modeled to them like responsible drinking and alcohol wasn't seen as this evil thing. I mean, their dads would have a beer or two while watching the game and, you know, attitude would never change and there's nothing, they're none the wiser. And it's just, it's, it's just a relaxing thing and it's not this crazy party drug or whatever. And my, my upbringing, you can probably attest to this or at least relate to it was like, if you have one or you have 10, the sin is the same. Same difference. (laughs) 
So yeah. in your in your teenage brain, with when you have that information, you go, well, I'm not just gonna have one. Yeah. I've already crossed the line. Exactly. Let's do ten. You know. Yep. And I remember like, and I'm just an extreme person by nature, but like Me that, too. that um, I just feel like that was a toxic lesson or a toxic um paradigm that that our parents or at least that culture influenced them to set up um which is this like zero tolerance and anybody who does this should be seen in this certain light because the second you do it and the second you screw up suddenly you see yourself in that light and then yep. you either chuck the whole thing out or or you know or or you or you try to um reinterpret the whole thing or or you end up in the cycle of shame that you were talking about which is just like yep. You, you know, it does not serve anybody to approach, um, approach anything in our life. I mean, there's some things that are just blatantly damage, damaging, but like forbidden fruit of, of a legal substance that many smart, uh, happy, um, people use on a, in a moderate level on a, on a daily basis or, or weekly basis is, is, is something that you should approach in a moderate way, not in an extreme way that like causes them to stumble into it, you know, thinking that they're, they're at, you know, hell's gate or whatever. Yeah. And that was like, so I, I would look at my friends who were, uh, doing the, like grew up moderate drinking and stuff. And I was like, well, they're going to be sinning their whole life. Right. But I know that I'm going to quit one day. So like, let's just do everything. And then, cause you're going to quit when you're like 19. I'm sure, I'm sure of it. You know, you'll, Oh gosh. Yeah. And so like that led to me like starting, uh, heroin when I was 17. And then, so, and, and this was coinciding with, I was really, I was the type of kid that like, I would go see a movie and then come home and like, I was that character for the week and then go see the next right. movie. And, you know, super imaginative. And so when I think we had seen fear and loathing in Las Vegas and we had just gotten into modest mouse and like, that was like what me and my group of friends were about. Right. So, yeah. So it was kind of this game and like, I found out that I was just good at drugs. Like I was really shitty at drinking and I just didn't like it. So I was also the type of person, like I played the drums cause I wasn't good at guitar and everybody played guitar. Gotta be different. The terminal uniqueness shit. Right, right. And uh, so I was like, well, I'm just going to do drugs. And, you know, you get attention in high school. Like, oh, he's so crazy. Like, wow, you know, the bad boy deal. Yeah. And then one day I wake up and I'm 20 and I'm like, oh, well, I'm not in control of this and I can't stop anymore. So Right. And then you're still well in your, your developmental years as far as your brain right. goes and, and the chemistry of your brain and everything. Right. That's like one thing I think about because like I, you know, my brain wants to get messed up i don't know what kind of podcast this is but normally i'd say the other word (laughs) okay my gay my brain my brain naturally wants to get fucked up that's what it wants like it it just it it's in its i'm in my brain all day long and it's going a thousand you know miles a minute and when i when the day is done or whatever i need to find something to focus on that is not whatever's the inside of my brain whatever the wallpaper is in, in my skull which is what I've been spinning around in all day. And so I, I, I have a natural uh, inclination to to want that, but I, I don't know if it has any – I think it's just my personality. could have uh, something too. to do with the fact that I was 15 when I started kind of messing with my brain. 
Um, but all I can hope for my kids too is just like, and I, I would just be completely honest with them. Like, you that's, know, yeah, when you're plan. old enough, when you're old enough, please like, just don't mess with the tender brain. Uh, um, yeah, I'm going to try <laughs> the, uh, like, da- like dad ruins everything type of thing. Like if I catch him smoking, be like, Hey, can your old man join you? I used to smoke, you know, like, you know pass that doobie son. Oh, dad. <laughs> you know, maybe that'll work. Who knows? I don't have kids yeah. yet, but. Oh, yeah, married, well, so. well, that is the opposite approach of the forbidden fruit approach or right. the red button on the wall says do not push. If you just tell your kids all the time to do tons of drugs and have sex and how cool would that be? Exactly. They'll watch rebel. a teenager, watch a teenager do the opposite. That's just the yeah. nature of of forming your identity as a teen is is fighting against the the power structures that 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 formed your identity in your youth. And so if you want your kids to do something um good maybe tell them to do bad stuff right. <laughs> so so are you in canada now are you is I this, am, and you're reading books is this like are you just yeah man reclusing is this your obi-wan uh, in Dagobah yeah stage? well we were going for a long time there like i said like christy and i we we did two months on the road in a in an rv with my kids and uh it's insane i have three kids and they're all five and under so it was just a lot of work. We had friends come out, which was nice, and kind of help us and, you know, be kind of our adult allies. Um, but before that, um, you know, I came out with a record in, in late April with the classic crime. We toured in May. Um, basically, when I got back, I had 10 days to get out of my house and start on this tour with Vocal Few. And before that, um, you know, I put I put out a Christmas album that I recorded with Vocal Few. And before that, it was like, um, writing the record and recording the classic crime record. And so, and then the whole while of 2016, I'm, I'm podcasting, doing a weekly podcast, as you know, is difficult, difficult to put together and really stay motivated on. So just the amount of hours I was just putting into, I would, I would call ego work, just like what my brain wants to do, what my brain thinks is important, what my brain wants to achieve. Um, and then, and then towards the end of tour, just feeling like I'm going to crash and burn if I don't stop, if I don't stop, like everything's going to fall apart. And, you know, Christy and I, my wife and I are, are having lots of conversations about like, there's stuff that happened in this last year that we couldn't even stop and, and talk about or stop and discuss, you know, stuff that just got suppressed because, it just had to at the time yeah. we, we were just moving so fast. We couldn't address everything. Yeah. And now we're, now we're at a point where we're slowed down enough and I've been using, yeah, like you said, I've been using books or fiction or walks. Um, I'm on this thing now where I get up at dawn every morning and I go to the top of this hill by, by, uh, the house and I watch the sunrise. Nice. Um, try to tune myself to the rhythms of the planet. Like, when you feel like you're spinning out of control, I was listening to this guy, uh, John O'Donohue, I think this is an Irish poet, and and uh, I guess he's a sociologist or a psychologist too, uh, philosopher mostly. Um, but he was he was talking about if you tune yourself to to or get your body in tune with nature, that that can be um, something that can really ground you and slow you down. So like waves crashing or yeah, leaves, that leaves rustling. That, but one thing he said that really like challenged me, I guess, because I hear things like, oh, I'm going to do that. It sounds crazy. Was like he, you know, he had some high powered exec 
call him from New York and say, I just feel like I'm floundering. I'm spinning out of control. Like my mind's racing. I don't feel connected. I don't feel deeply rooted in my body. I don't understand who I am. What's one thing you can give me that I can do? And he said, do this for a week, wake up at dawn and watch the sun, watch the light come up. And then, um, at dusk do the same and do that for a week and see what happens. And he said her, her, basically her whole outlook on life changed and, you know, it led her in in, in a crazy new path. Um, and just, I think we're just deprived of that in our cultures. I mean, everything is electric light and, and blue screens and, um, you know, our opiate receptors and our, we're getting the dopamine from just clicking on and refreshing and who's talking to me and who thinks I'm important and who liked my last comment. And, and that is just, I mean, have you unplugged from that as well? Oh yeah. Yeah. See, yeah. I've, God, I'm jealous I've, of that. I've done that in phases. I've done that in phases <sighs> and the books, the books help me unplug, although I'm getting probably some other, um, opiate kickback from, think, from reading good fiction. For, I mean, I'm going to say it's better, though. I mean... Oh, absolutely. I got to I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it if I didn't think it was better because I'm I'm tired of social media. So, yeah, how did you... What do you... You limit hours on the phone per day? No phone? No internet on the phone? Like, what do you, like, uh, tangible Um, do? So, you know, every January or so, ever since um, Steve Jobs invented the iPhone... Uh, Christy, Christy and I have like done like a, like a phone fast or whatever, essentially. I mean, a lot, a lot of Januarys we haven't, but <clears throat> many of them were just like, we're done with this. Let's just tune out and, you know, we delete our apps or whatever. And, and then maybe I'll be on the computer cause I have to run like websites. So when I'm working, yeah. I have to make a post or something. I'll do it on my, uh, my desktop. But um, but to stay off the little thing so you can get the break, you can look up and see and be a part of reality, you know, not just walk around with your head down looking at the blue screen. <laughs> and uh, so we've done that uh, from time to time. And, I, I, you know, as as you might know, it's hard at first and then it gets easy. And then it's like, well, who cares about that? Like that, yeah. that seems so meaningful. And now I'm having all these other meaningful experiences that are so much more real than that. Um, who cares about that argument I had on Facebook about whether or not Trump's a dickhead? It's, that doesn't mean anything. It doesn't change anybody's mind, but it does. Yeah, this, it, it's so true. I, I tried to tell my mom because I've, I've been to 18 treatment centers and trying to get sober, I've been to prison and all that. But every time the the one silver lining out of all of that is deprivation and then indulgence. So like even going like two months with like out, outside food and then just like drinking a coke is like the most amazing thing right imaginable and like those times you know you're not allowed to have your phone and all that and it's great and you forget all about it and then i don't know if it's because of deprivation that i go maybe it's just because my personality but when i get back it's right back to it and like my excuse now is i gotta run a podcast or whatever so i need my phone sure sure and it's like, sure. but God, it's like, you know, I used to love, I do love watching movies and it's like changed my attention span for watching yeah. movies. I've noticed yeah. that. And like with everything, I have to have two screens going at once. And like, I know yeah. that shit is a problem, but. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, and it's been more of a problem when I've had like stress in my life. So whenever I'm making a record and I'm like all the way down up to my neck in, 
you know, all the self-loathing and self-doubt and struggle and trying to reconcile and is this good or is this bad or what am I doing? Like that is, you know, when I make a record, that's like what goes into it. That's like all the emotions that go into it. And it like saps me often of my ability to, to communicate. So I become a, a little bit more like a rec- recluse. And um, in, in times past, I've like picked up like little mobile games um, where it saps all of the extra time. So I don't have to think about the record. It like totally distracts me from it. Oh, yeah. It's just perfect escapism. <clears throat> Which was fine until I had kids. Um, yeah. Well, it's not, my my wife would argue that it wasn't fine when I did it before, and I was I was withholding myself from her as well. Um, but like, I just don't. I can't do that anymore either. So I I think I've learned over the years to like be able to put it down. There are times in like stress or when I'm just in a bad mood, where it's just like, oh, I'll just like scroll around and you yeah. know. So I see it as I what see it as like a. Is that? Yeah, I mean, I know what it is, but like, right? What is this gonna do to us? Like, like I've got nothing to, exactly. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, take walks. I, I do. You know, I probably walked an hour and a half today. Um, it's and hard. some sometimes I walk quiet, which is really hard. Try yeah, that's that. Hard because I, I I soundtrack my life. Like that's my like. Yeah, I work uh, an outside job right now by myself, so like the headphones go on at like eight a.m. and like I'm not pre- well i mean i'm in i'm in a different place really until like right. four so yeah the tough. i think the being okay with silence is really it really comes down to if you can be okay completely okay which is the most difficult thing for me too if you can be okay with silence and like the sound of your breath then i think you can really love yourself but i think people are afraid of what might come afraid of what might bubble up and the silence is just deafening. And so we try to we try to turn that off. And I'm trying to get back to that. And like I'm I'm very much <clears throat> an offender of all the things that I hate about society. Oh, me um, too. If you <laughs> So yeah. So I'm trying. Like I'm I'm using this opportunity out here in Canada. I'm I'm living it. Um my aunt owns the house. My grandparents owned it. It's from eighteen thirty. It's like a farmhouse. We're, you know, oh, forty five minutes from the from the nearest big city. About five minutes from a college town, though, but just out here in like colonial, you know, settlement and uh, a beautiful country, you know, in Nova Scotia. So we're uh, we're out here and we don't have to pay rent and I don't have to worry Ooh, about. Nice. Yeah, it's that's the number one that's reason I don't have to worry about the rent coming every month or whatever. So, yeah, I figured I should use this as a luxury and I should use this opportunity to do my like soul work whatever that is because i could just be distracted the whole time yeah doing doing my ego work which i mean you have to do to survive well and that's you what i was to... gonna ask is your um i mean I'll, I'll just for a blanket term just call this like your meditations like are you god focused or are you really going like eastern um mindfulness meditation like centering stuff are you are you trying to reconcile more with yourself or like bringing God into it? Um, if, if that it's a it's, question kind of makes sense. No, no, that's a good, that's a good question. And I probably would have asked myself that more, um, deeply maybe 10 years ago. And that would have mattered a lot to me then. But I think my understanding is 
Well, number one, being in touch with creation, being in touch with the earth is, in a sense, being in touch with God, um, or at least what God means to me as kind of the driving force that made all this. And, mm-hmm. um, and so, and that's trying to center myself around at least some, that, that bigger, the bigger aspect of things like the earth, um, rotation around the sun. That's a, that's an interesting, um, perspective that I think, um, does, does, is a spiritual practice that does, um, bring me into the presence of the divine. Uh, but I, I wouldn't say that I, that I now centering prayer is another thing that I do some. And, uh, it is middle Eastern, I will say, um, because the great, the great, well, I don't know if you know this, but Jesus was Middle Eastern. No so. way, not my yeah. Jesus. They, they, he's white with an AK-47. Yeah. He's more. He's Mormon. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Joseph but, Smith, uh, man. <laughs> Blonde hair, blue eyes. Perfect. He gets the ladies. <laughs> uh, but yeah, but like you know, from from the practices dating back to like basically first century, second century, um, third century, and especially after the third century and beyond, when when Christianity became kind of the, the the religion of the state, a lot of the ascetics, or they became ascetics ultimately, the mystics or the people who understood kind of the deeper truths of spirituality couldn't really marry the two. They couldn't really say, okay, what Jesus was about is what Rome is about. Um, and they went off into the desert and have, and because of that, we have thousands of years of their work and thought and meditative practices and centering prayer and stuff like that to go to. Um, if you are from a Christian tradition, you can go back to those Christians and say, well, how did they center themselves? And what um, books are those like? Are there like seminal books in that? Because everyone talks about what the Desert Fathers did, this, that, and the yeah. other. But like, where do you like? Where do you go <clears throat> to find that? Uh, you go to the Catholic Church, my man. No way. They got they, no, no way. Well, yeah, I know. Well, the the Catholics keep very good records of all of their saints and all of their holy people and their mystics and everything from every tradition. And so, okay, um, so it's like saint writings. Yeah, essentially. I mean, Augustine was a saint, right? Saint Augustine, okay. um, and he's he's you know a lot of modern theology is based off off his work. Um, but I would I would more say go to modern people like I would say Father Thomas Keating or um, Thomas Merton. Uh, you might really like Merton actually, because <clears throat> these are these are people who are within the line of that tradition, um, and uh, and who carried it out in a in a in a in a more modern setting. And a more more applicable setting, and they followed these forefathers that kind of did that. Um, but anyways, yeah, we've lost a lot of that practice. Um, that um, we've kind of we've been told. I mean, at least me, being, growing up pretty fundamentalist, that the mind was not your friend, and that if you rely too much on your mind, your mind will trick you because your mind is evil and Satan controls your mind. So don't turn on your mind. Don't use your mind. Don't think with your mind. Just read the text with the interpretation that we give you, and um, and all will be fine. But whatever you do, don't rely on yourself. Don't go into yourself. Yourself is not your friend. And 
and I think that's led to a lot of people to just just to to have this uh, just to be bankrupt of spiritual practices that really center them in a in a in their bodies um, into an enfleshed incarnate divinity Whoa. that um, that I think we've lost. It's all just this theoretical thing that people believe up in their heads. Well, and um, I realized too, like especially going off of what you just said, that I've had so many i you know spent my 20s being told because i do have a mind and a body that like ultimately is trying to kill me because of the disease or or what have you so i've had all these people telling me do not trust your mind and like think this way think that way and there was a period of time where i just completely went and tried to rebel against everything and denounce god and just try to be on my own and then that did not end well so just all this confusion and especially just these past three years, it's like, I don't It's so being, I'm so tired of being pulled in like a thousand different directions and like really don't understand why the, whatever the truth is, wouldn't just be fucking plain, <laughs> you know, like I really like why, is, if, if it's so, which I do believe it's, the most important thing in the world. Like, why is it so left up to like, why is there, why, you know, I don't know. I'm asking yeah. like mysteries well, of the universe here. But yeah. I think yeah. You get what I'm, you smell what I'm stepping in, but, uh, yeah, I think the mystics understood that it was far more difficult than black and white. Yeah. And that they, they understood that the only way to get to, or even close in the vicinity of the truth was through contemplative practices. Um, it was through practice, not, not literal belief. Um, and, and a lot of our faith has been co-opted by this post-rationalism or this post-enlightenment where it's like, you have to know the facts. And if, if you don't have the facts, then that's just fruitless and meaningless. And that's really like not how the ancient Christians behave. That's not what they believed. They believed in capital T truth that didn't really rely even on on the facts. It was a truth that transcended the facts. You know, it was a paradox. Well, that's, um, that's why I was it was a mystery. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't you also like, I guess not jumped on the science bandwagon, but like there's, it seems like, I don't even really, I can't even put a word on like the, the movements that are going on right now, but it seems right. like there's some sort of big something, like a right. split coming or something. And it's like, these people, I guess it's just because I'm thinking science, Mike, and like the liturgist, because that's right. easy to come to mind. But you've got like scientific truth, everything you grew up with is wrong. But at the same time, this mysticism stuff. And, and my thing is like, I've never understood like, why is it easy? Because I'm a big, admittedly supernatural person and I've had, you know, whatever. And it's never made sense to me. Like, why? Like, you had that controversy over holy water saying that you're, you know, an old earth person or whatever essentially right yeah and yeah. it's like why is that even such big issues to people to like die on that hill if it's like why some supernatural things over the other and like why are some truth right. important well so, so it's identity for a lot of people and i think people aren't careful in our in a world where there isn't a lot a lot going under going on under the surface everything like we're talking about the cell phone everybody's on their surface 
um, all the time and distracting mm. themselves and not listening, not going inside of themselves and not being silent and not having any practice spiritually. In that world, I don't even know what we're talking about. What were we talking about? Uh, man, a bunch of trippy shit. Oh, mysticism. And sh- okay. Mysticism well, and science. Right. And like, why? Right. So I, so, so in that world is easy to, you have this, uh, you have this deep lack of meaning, right? Because there is no meaningful spiritual practice for you. You go to church, you get entertained, people get on stage, there's lights and smoke and fog and badass worship music, and it, it woohoo, pumps you up, entertain, then you go home and you watch football and you're entertained and you're entertained, you're entertained, everything's entertained. There's no practice in spirituality where you sit alone in a room and you just stand in the presence of God or sit in the presence of God and you just say nothing, nothing. Yep. I'm going to empty myself. And that, with without that, you, it's so easy to look for meaning in your own identity. This is ego work, right? Mm-hmm. Who am I? What do I stand for? I need meaning. I'm desperate for meaning because I don't get it anywhere. So let's wrap my identity around a theological, a theological belief. The belief that the Bible is inerrant. The belief that uh, the earth is 6,000 years old. The belief that the earth is flat, whatever it is, people are wrapping their identities around beliefs because in, in the place of a, of a practice that they, that they so deeply long for, but don't even know that they're missing. That, that and is, then they defend, then they defend the identity because it's they're like, me that because defending. it's me. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah, so yeah. if I say, if I say the earth is old to a, to a young earth creationist, the immediate re- reaction is anger. Attack. It's a personal attack. Right. Yeah. Because they've wrapped themselves up with that. They don't even understand who they are apart from the ego. So, and I'm, I'm, I'm equally to blame for that. You know, I, every human has this tendency and that's why we need spiritual practice that oh, like for sure. empties our brains of that stuff. Well, and that's kind of what, kind of why me and um, my other usual co-host had to, he's taken some time off, but we're like Christians in Alcoholics Anonymous, right? And like, we've noticed how like AA is really ran like first century Christianity, like awesome meditation practices. And it's, it's basically like a, a blueprint for how to be a good Christian and have faith and all that. But we're not allowed to talk specifically about, you know, Jesus in there. And then if I go to my pastor and tell him that I want to do drugs, he'll just be like, well, you know, pray about it. And it's like, well, okay. So we're trying to like, you know, we started this conversation to try to like mesh and meld because you are right. It's like anyone could benefit from the spirit. From AA, the 12, the 12 step, the 12 step world, I think is like one of these like last bastions of what the church was meant to be. Yes. Um, give you structure, but with full acceptance um, of who you are and with everybody coming with open hearts and open minds and saying, look at me, this yep. is the worst. And that complete being known and being accepted in, in your weakness is, is that's what Jesus was all about. That's the gospel, right? Ooh, so chills the, on that one. The, the the twelve steppers have sort of got this, and I would say, you know, you don't need the music if if you want to go to church and have meaning. I would say AA's got it. Well, and that's man, I, like I play in. A, there's a small church I go to, and I play in the worship band here, and that's what I've been struggling late lately with is, is like, I don't want to be this like contrarian asshole and try to like 
change everything. And it's not even that, like, they, you know, they're not, like, preaching against homosexuality from the pulpit or talking politics. There's nothing even, like, wrong with it, you know what I mean? But it just, like, right. I keep finding myself, like, this is so surface level. And, like, what are we, what are we really doing here? And then I battle with, are you just being, like, am I... Am I just like a wave tossed by the sea and all I do is listen to people bitch about church all day, so therefore I'm taking that into my life? Or is there something to it? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Oh, man, get out of my head. I've Dude. had all those thoughts in that order. Yeah. In that order. I, you know, going to a small church, volunteering, feeling those exact same things, sticking it out because it's got to be me. It's got to be the, you know, what I'm filling my head with. Uh, there's nothing wrong here. Um and, uh, yeah, so I, I can relate to that. And I remember, I just, yeah, I, I know what that feels like and how, how bad that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it does. And I get like, at the end of the day, I usually settle on, if nothing else, go serve. You've been given a gift, go absolutely. Serve, if nothing else. And then inevitably like, you know, good comes of it, but it's, yeah, it's it's all as much as you can handle, and I would say, you know, when it's when it's time, if it if it ever is for you, and I I don't know where you're at, but um, I'll say this: don't don't beat yourself up over it. I think your critique is probably dead on, but as with everything, you know, uh, sometimes critique is not beneficial. Right. Um, to, to the people who are at a certain place in their journey and, and, and it's working. Um, yeah, that's why I don't want to exact, like I'll keep quiet about it for the most part unless, because that's, right. you know, that's even, I've even had to come to grips with like the fact that the mega church model, as far as I can tell, actually works for some people, you know, either. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, I'm not going to be arrogant enough to just be like oh they're just all full of shit like you know i'm you know whatever to each their own so right but what's well fun- people are people and yeah, yeah. you know there's there's a mix in in every group and um you can favor one ideology for for how to do community over another and not have to demonize the other of course. you know so and i'm i'm with you i'm like it, i'm not into i'm not into the mega church it does not work for me no i don't think i don't think it's I don't think it's wise or efficient, but for some people, they get a lot out of it. So it's just not for me then, you know? And and I've had to, the practice I've had to go through like this, uh, this season brother, but, uh, uh, was (laughs) actually being okay with like missing church because I still had it's, I'm fighting my, I guess, childhood idea of like, I do this for God. God does this for me. I transactional salvation salvation. and it's so hard to (laughs) like it's literally it has been like it i had to pray and it was work to be like it is okay if you miss church and like you know what i'm saying like that yeah no we felt a guilt too and man there it's it's ingrained culturally too and you know like you said with with parents being prohibitive and demonizing certain things and then, and then of course you want to do them and, and then of course you overdo them because there was no, there's no level of moderation that was ever taught to you. It's the same thing with, with the cultural, um, 
I guess, education we get growing up in, in the church. And, and there's just these, these unspoken uh, assumptions that we just accept, which is good people, good Christians, um, people who are, who are walking with the Holy Spirit, or however you want to put it, whatever yeah. sect of Christianity you're from, you have something different for this, but it all means the same thing. Good people go to church on Sunday, every Sunday, and they don't miss it. Yep. And bad people, people who are falling by the wayside, people who are who are being backsliders, backsliders, or people who are being tempted by the the great evil one, whatever. However, I mean, it all means the same thing. People who don't go to church, they're bad. People who go to church, they're good. That's what we t- that was pounded into our heads. Yep. And so naturally, that little voice in your head, that little super ego or 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 mega critic. That is formed in your youth, in your when you're three, four, and five, and six, or whatever. When your parents are really teaching you the boundaries of the rules, that thing's going to speak up when you go. Oh, I don't think it's spiritually healthy for me to go to church today. Right. <laughs> it's right. going to go. Oh yeah, the you're father right. of lies is in your brain, son. <laughs> Dude, yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's dope, man. So I think that's a natural thing, and yeah. I experienced it. I experienced it to this day, and I, I haven't gone to an evangelical church in probably a couple years now. Um, and I actually don't feel any guilt about missing church do, anymore. Do you, have, do, you do, do you, quote, unquote, do church in another way? Or is it just, like, do you uh, I, listen to any sermons or... Um... I listen to podcasts. Uh, some of those are sermon-like, I suppose. Um, all a sermon is is just um, a subpar TED Talk anyways. but <laughs> <laughs> Unless it's a good sermon, then it's a good TED Talk. But it's a right. TED Talk nonetheless. Yeah, nonetheless. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, uh, but yeah, I, I listen to podcasts, and, and some of those are messages. Some of those are, there, there we are, go. There we go. are specific um, but but generally not traditional, not, not what I – not what I learned growing up, but what I'm learning now, where I'm at with, with my head in, in, in those things. And sometimes I have to step away from those. I I have enough theology of enough of what the definitions are. I just need to go and watch the sunrise. That's all I need to do. And I'm going to commit to that. And that's going to be my practice or my practice is reading some poetry. Um, so I have some poetry books and you know, I got a Wendell Berry book, so, you know, and so anyway, so speaking of growing up, so how do you handle God and your kids or how do you plan on it? Or that's a tough one. You, yeah. you ask all the tough questions, man. Well, it's because, um, you know, I, I've been polling this question because I'm just letting everybody do the scout work. So when I have a kid, I'll just be like, all right, so what worked and what did not? Yeah. So Christy has this book and I forget what it's called, but, um, that's been a big question for us because we don't want to impose theology on our kids yeah um especially long before they're ready to make up ideas about god or or formulate ideas because it's just a just a deep 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 hole that you can go down that has been going on for thousands and thousands of years and i don't think you need any of it to experience god you don't need it You, you, Mm. you you need it to explain your experience perhaps but you don't need it to experience God. Um, and so, I mean, I guess the book, the book has a lot of little things like, um, like Sabbath practices, like going on nature walk and, and pointing out beauty and creation or, 
um, blessings at the end of the day, um, just to put good words into your kids um, about how God loves them and no matter what and that type of stuff. And so yeah. it's, it's pretty good stuff. And yeah. that's the thing is like they're going to be told by society, whether or not society's secular or not, who God is. And the only thing I want them to know is that God loves them no matter what. And there's nothing they have to do to earn that or to, um, they don't have to feel shame if they, if they don't live up to, to what they think in their head is, is good <laughs> because I just yeah. felt extremely scarred and marred. And I think you, you might agree Oh yeah. by, by the whole shame and blame and guilt culture, um, with Christianity, it's like, yeah, salvation is a free gift. And, you know, you don't have to do anything to accept it, and God loves you no matter what. But, but, and capital and, B, and as you know, as they say, everything after the everything before the but is bullshit, right? So, yeah, right. Everything after the but is what really matters, and so. Um, and my, <laughs> and my, my parents are like my poor mom. She she's still like a she's a huge fan of this. I had both of my parents on and like interviewed them about cuz they were straight laced, never smoked and then they have this kid, you know, my sister's uh married to a woman and has a kid and then me was this prodigious drug addict and so like they their faith has, you know, gotten crazy awesome and they've, they've changed and all that, but they keep my mom keeps like apologizing and I'm like, "Dude, y'all, you know, y'all did your best with what you had. It's not your Yeah. Fault. Oh, no, absolutely not. And that's the thing too is like you you are not it's one thing as a parent I understand and I, my kids aren't fully grown yet. But like you're not responsible for your like you're responsible to do the best that you have and your kids are going to respond however they're going to respond. Right. And um and you're only a percentage of that. Um and uh so like I don't know if you've ever done any um any like the enneagram tests or the personality tests or any of that. Yeah. Um. But uh, but like the one one thing people are often worried about that is because because it's based around a a childhood wound or what they call a childhood wound, but it's really just the way that your personality was formed in reaction to a perceived um wound, but it's nothing that your parents actually did. It's yeah, nothing it's, that they did. They were just doing themselves. It's it's how you reacted to it. But it was how you reacted to it in in a young age, and and so um, and so yeah, I, I think about that a lot. I think about like because my wife is often really terrified of our kids. Either the two things she's really worried about is drug addiction at a young age or whatever, where it's kind of like it's not, it's 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 term uh terminal, and yeah. then uh and then a uh uh. A, preg- a teenage pregnancy or something like that. <laughs> um, and that's what she's always worried about, like just getting knocked up or yeah. getting the, hit the drugs early. And, uh, and I'm like, there's no, there is no benefit to that fear. No, there is nothing good that can come from you worrying. Unless and not you that I could ever locking them in a box. Right. Until right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. What we need to do is show them the world outside of, Show them everything. Show them the world and have yep. conversations about everything. And, and, and show the, them that you can be talked to if you need. I yeah, if you need anything, yeah, right. That's super clutch. Right, yeah. And, and psychological suppression has been proven to um, to create a lot of toxic habits. So if you feel like you can't talk about something because you're, you're in a religious culture that doesn't allow you to do that um, – it's just going to get 10 times worse. Yeah. You know? It's coming out somewhere. Exactly. Exactly. 
Well, cool, man. I've taken up like an hour of your time, but uh, this was awesome. I'm just out here in the country, just desperate for conversation, so it didn't even phase me that we went that long. So me and Debesh used to take Krav Maga, right? But it was kind of mm-hmm. like from, it wasn't like a Mick Dojo, but it was like, I don't know. It was whatever. It was okay. It was good for a time. And then we both kind of just like stopped going. But like, it was really awkward because it was a small class size and this dude was just starting out. And so like, we were, you know, 60% of the class or whatever. And he had our phone numbers and shit. So he's just like, kept, you know, he, he it was a Where you guys at? Up. Yeah, yeah like, are, are y'all coming tonight? You're gonna come next time. Like, and uh, nah, so, I haven't talked to him in it's been you know fuck it's been like a year at least of avoidance. And uh, but I worked um, Comic Con this weekend. Me and my wife and my friend Sean and Allison we had a booth. And fucking, I see him walking around, and I was like, oh no! So I fucking ran to the bathroom and avoided it. <laughs> and fucking, I come back. And I literally almost like ran into him, and I was like, "Oh, oh, hey, man, what are you doing here? Like, I didn't see you until just now." And he was like, "Yeah, Debesh told me you were out here, and that I should come find you." And I was like, "Oh, you motherfucker!" I totally screwed. As he was like, "Man, I saw him post on Facebook. I'm so bored at Comic Con." He was there like with his kid or something. I was like, "Yo, man, Jeff's out there. Go find such a dick." Dude, it was so awkward. Like, it was so He's just like, awkward. where you been, bro? Yes, that was the first thing he said. Where you been? When are you going to come back? da 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 We got a new place. You want to come back? And I'm just like, oh, yeah. yeah. This, is, this is my answer. I'm so bad at, like, you know, I can't lie anymore. So this is my answer whenever someone says, like, how you been? Uh, working. Yeah, yeah, I've been working. Uh, I've just been working, you know. Working. As if I work, you know, 36 hours a day and, like... <laughs> Dude, like, just so bad. Accept the breakup, man. Like, fuck. Right. 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 I don't. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it was funny though. Um. Oh shit, dude. Uh, do you watch Narcos? Yes, I did. Since did you, you told me about it? I just finished like a few days ago. Oh really? So isn't it dope as fuck, dude? Oh god, it's so good. It's so did you, good. Did you hear what happened though? No. What? So they were. Um, sc- they're scouting location for uh, season four, uh-huh. and one of their location scouts they fucking found him in his car with like thirty-seven bullet holes in it, and they fucking he got killed by the cartel. Are you kidding? Isn't that insane? Because that what they're doing is eventually they're gonna get to El Chapo, like they're just gonna be they're gonna do modern. Uh huh. So like they were uh scouting in Hidalgo for the Juarez cartel and he got like shot on the border because think about it it's like it was a dude with shit tons of camera equipment 
just like yeah, asking yeah. questions and going to random places. They were like, oh, Federale or something and fucking killed him. Uh, oh, my God. Isn't that bananas? Wow. Yeah. Jeez. It's like when, when like, you know, fiction becomes reality. I mean, it's just like, wow. Yeah, for real. Like, that gives, I mean, that's some serious cred, I guess. I don't know what that gives it. Yeah. Jesus, that's horrible. Oh, what else was I? Gonna... Oh yeah, so have you the sept the world's ending tomorrow? Have you heard that? No, I haven't heard that. What is what is happening? All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna break because somebody somebody asked me on the um, Church and the Drugs uh, Facebook group about it, what my take was on it because I know I'm a, I'm a conspiracy nut. So here here's the thing. Okay. Uh. People get it all mixed up, and they think that these are times. Uh, hold on. Fake bucks. So, so, all right. So, like, people thought the world was going to end 2012. That is not what the Mayans said. What they said was 2012 is when Quetzalcoatl was coming back, and it was going to usher in a new era, right? Quetzalcoatl is the feathered serpent. So... I interpret that as it could possibly be like when Revelation talks about um, Satan and his angels have to be loosed for a certain time after the thousand years of uh, being chained. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's happening on the 23rd is there's, I'm I'm not getting the exact details right because I can't remember them verbatim, but there's, it's going to be a constellation. There's like one constellation moving through another. So in Revelation, it talks about the beast coming out from the woman and one of the constellations is a female and the beast constellation is going to literally be like coming out of the female constellation which like hasn't happened like ever or like in millennia gotcha and uh what else was it there was some other and like there's going to be some constellation directly above where jerusalem used to be uh-huh. It's basically just a bunch of just lining up of constellations and right. orbits and, and all stuff and, and like ushering different time periods, right? Yeah, and that's what the Bible mm-hmm. says that the constellations and the stars are there to mark times. So mm-hmm. it's like it's not going to be the world's not going to end, but I think it just like it just signals the beginning or the end of like an age period. period. And that's you know what's what's interesting is like what you just said kind of maps on pretty well to like my belief systems and like and like the more modern translations of the Vedic time periods suggest that like we were in a dark ages called the Kali Yuga and that we're coming out of that into a new age of the Wafara Yuga. And this is an ascending uh, age, so we're moving more towards like, you know, light and consciousness and spirituality. Where in the Kali Yuga, it was just like darkness and like very materialistic, and and so we're just now we're about three, four hundred years into this new age already. And so maybe there's these are just like little markers like along the way. That's what I, I think with all these with, all, with that. That's my take on all that stuff. Yeah, um, I don't listen to all that hoopla. I mean, it's fun though. My my big thing is like I wish it would happen so I don't have to go to work on Monday. Like that'd be <laughs> sweet, right? <It's> sweet. <laughs> Collect some unemployment, dog. Oh, dude. In the afterlife. <laughs> Call in due to apocalypse. 
They probably still make me go to work, dude. We had to work during the hurricane and all that shit. Like, people still need their internet. Yeah, dude. Dead serious. I hate yeah. it. But, um, yep. I'm going to get out of here. Let's get out of here. All right. Later, y'all. For real. Church and other drugs at gmail.com. I scrape the glass for crumbs and ask the mirror for some truth. I loaded my body with chemicals, it was no use. Cause retribution's coming for the years of this abuse. And I can't get away, and still I can't get close enough to you. Oh, 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 oh. Is you cannot be found.